So what do you think of when I say the word procrastination? My guess is you either think of yourself and get a little bit sheepish and maybe smile at yourself, or there's somebody in your life that you immediately think of. Uh, I am not much of a procrastinator when there are deadlines involved. I get, it gives me anxiety. I have to have things done ahead of time. But my sister is the queen of procrastination. I'm scanning right now, make sure she's not here. Um, but I remember so many times when she was in high school that she would wait until the night before something was due to knock out this giant project and she'd pull an all-nighter and it would be right before we're getting ready to go to school and the whole family scrambling to help pull it together so that she could turn it in. Now, there are things in my life that I do tend to put off. And one of those things is exercise. I hate it very much. I do not enjoy it at all. And so to just exercise on a daily basis, to make it a part of my regular way is really hard for me. And so for me, it takes something to motivate me, to get me to kick into gear, a trip or an event or something like that. And I know for sure I'm not the only one because how ridiculous is it how often people begin to start exercising and dieting and going hard before their class reunion. Because all of those people who you knew when you were young get this version of you, but like your family and friends and people in your actual life get this lazy, sloppy, potato chip eating version. But, but for the reunion, we're going to go hard and we're going to make sure that we, we give them our best. And I see this in my kids. I'll give them a list of chores to do while I'm gone for the day. And I'll call and let them know that I'm going to be home soon. And I know they're busting tail to get that list done like then. And husbands are not off the hook on this because I know that honeydew list sits there as long as possible before you actually get to it. Now we are creatures who are influenced by motivation. And that is not a bad thing. But it can be because it can cause us to be lazy and to just get comfortable in, in the unhealth, in the irresponsible. Because sometimes these things can impact us in, in deeper ways where we don't take care of our health until that heart attack comes and now we're motivated. Or we... You know, we just kind of make ourselves the God of our own life. We kind of decide, you know, I'm really busy. I'm working on a lot of things in my life. But, but when the kids get a little older, we're going to make going to church a regular part of our way. Or we, we don't really want to serve in, in those little ways. But if a big opportunity comes up where I get to do something important, well, then, then I'm going to get my act together. And see, this is where we begin to see how this, this tendency... To, to put things off or to wait until there's something big and exciting to motivate us can really begin to impact who we are. And, and God wants us to be people who are consistent, who, who do the good and right thing, not because something comes along to motivate us, but because it's the godly way, because it's the holy way. 
to do it out of our, our love for God, not being motivated by something that, that finally comes along that's worthy of our attention, worthy of our submission. And so today, we are continuing through our God Story series. And the, the portion of the story that we're going to look at today, I think, really shows us God's heart in this way. We're going to be looking at the story of Noah. Now, I think, I would guess, most if not all of us are familiar with the story of Noah and the ark. I think even if you've not been in church, you, you know about this story. You know there's a boat involved. You know there's animals on the boat. God flooded the earth. We get a rainbow at the end. We all have an idea of this story. But what can happen with familiar stories is we kind of hone in on this one kind of oversimplified takeaway. And that's what we kind of tag to this story. And the problem with that is we end up missing so much within the story that God wants us to see and understand about who he is and who we are. So for the story of Noah, I would suggest that the general takeaway for us is, is about Noah's faith, about how much faith it took to build that ark when there was no rain in sight. And we've made the assumption that his family and all of the townspeople are calling him crazy. There's no rain coming. Why are you building this ark? But Noah did it anyways. And it did. It took a lot of faith. But this is kind of the posture that Hollywood took when they uh, put this movie out about 13 years ago called Evan Almighty, which is like this Noah story. And, and in this story, we have this character, Evan, who God tells him to build an ark because a flood is coming. But Evan does everything in his power to avoid God, to run away from it. But God continues to intervene in kind of these unavoidable, annoying ways until Evan finally gets to the point where he says, fine, I'll do it. And he begins to build this ark. And his wife and his kids call him crazy. And his coworkers call him crazy. But he builds the ark anyway. But the thing about Noah in the biblical story is that Noah didn't run away from God. Noah didn't try to avoid what God was asking him to do. Noah was not a controlling, success-obsessed man like this character is. In fact, the first thing we read about Noah is that it says that God found favor in him before he ever built the ark. See, this morning, I want us to, to see that the story of Noah, I think, is a story of faithfulness, but maybe in a slightly different way than we have understood it before. I think within this Noah story, we really see God's heart. We see what it is God is looking for. We see God's intent and purpose. I think that within the story of Noah, we find some, some foundational realities for our lives today. And so let me just set the stage and then we're going to dig in. So we always have to start back at the beginning because it's in the beginning in Genesis chapter one and two that we, we discover that God is creator. 
that he created the heavens and the earth. He created the animals and the fish and the birds and humanity. And he gives humanity authority over creation, an authority that means to care for. And he also gives humanity a choice. And so they're given this choice to eat from the tree of life, where God is determining for them what is good and what is right, or they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where every person decides for themselves what is good and what is right. And so we know that they eat from this tree. And so brokenness comes in to God's creation. And within the very next generation, we were introduced to violence and murder as Cain kills his brother Abel, which Pastor Dave talked about last week. And then from, from Cain's line, about five generations later, we get this, this man named Lamech. And it's an, he's an important character because what we see through him is he is the most evil person to exist up to this point. He kind of writes this song or poem about it. He has multiple wives and he treats them like slaves and animals. And he sings this song celebrating how evil he is. And this is important because now we're seeing that sin is not just this tempting thing that's pulling at us, but now people are actually embracing it, celebrating it, choosing to be evil. Because this is what sin does. It manifests. Sin produces sin. So immediately as they eat from this tree, they experience shame. And we see that shame leads to blame. Blame leads to anger. Anger leads to self-protection. Self-protection leads to jealousy, which we see in Cain. Jealousy leads to violence. Violence leads to defensiveness. Defensiveness leads to pride. Pride leads to control. And so sin just begins to create more sin as we engage in it. And so at this point in the story, God's creation has become purely evil. All of it. The, the bloodshed from the violence is soaking the soil that God had given them to, to grow things, to give their body nutrients. See, God had created his creation to live in right relationship with God and with one another, but things were getting out of hand. Evil was rampantly taking God's creation captive. Sin was just perpetuating through God's creation, a creation that he intended to function in love and unity and peace. And so God decides to do something. And what we see in the story of Noah is something that we will continue to see throughout the entire biblical narrative, and that is that God will always provide both the judgment necessary for sin as well as a means of mercy for humanity. And so at this point, we're going to see that God decides to wipe out his creation. And so we're picking up in Genesis 6, uh, starting in verse 5. This is what it says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. 
The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. This is quite possibly one of the most devastating scriptures in the entire Bible. As God says, I regret that I have made them. How can a perfect, sovereign God regret any action that he's taken? Well, it's important to understand that the Hebrew word here is nakam, which refers to an emotion where the primary meaning is one of pain, anguish, and unhappiness. See, it's entirely possible for somebody to feel unhappiness about a situation without considering it a wrong choice. See, God is sorry in this, in this moment. His, his decision to create humans in this moment is causing him grief. But that doesn't mean that he made a mistake by creating us. So it's similar to if we were to give our children something that we know had the possibility of being a good thing for them, of blessing them, of being helpful for them. But if they begin to use it in a way other than what it was intended for, in a way that causes them harm, then it is our job as their parents to take it back from them, to protect them from it. We wanted it to be a good thing for them. It has the possibility to be a good thing for them. But if they're going to use it to harm themselves, then we have to take it from them. And so at this point in, in the story, God's creation had become nothing but harm. Again, it said that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a lot of absolutes in one sentence. Every inclination was evil, which means there was no love, no compassion, no selflessness, no desire for good. Only evil came from humans. Can you imagine how intense and terrifying the world would be if only evil came from humans, God's creation was being polluted from the top down. Humans were, were being consumed by evil, celebrating evil. And so the way that they would care for the earth and care for the animals, it was all falling apart. If God didn't intervene, his creation was doomed. This precious creation that he loved and he had plans for. And he wanted nothing more than, than to, to be in relationship and peace with them. But at this point, everything was only evil all the time, which means that there was nothing left to point people back to God. To draw them back to the creator. Except for one man. Picking up in verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Again, contrary to Hollywood, what we see here is that Noah was found to have favor in the eyes of the Lord before 
God called him to build the ark. God saw that Noah was faithful. And so he chose him to do a restart of his creation. And so this is what I want us to take away this morning from the Noah story. Is that God is always looking for someone who is faithful among his people. As, as his creation begins to embrace evil and begins to be broken, as people stray away from the godly way, God is constantly throughout scripture looking among his people for somebody who is faithful. And what God does when he finds somebody who is faithful is he uses them to usher in restoration and redemption to his creation. And so we see this all throughout scripture. In Psalm 52, verse 2 and 3, it says, God looked down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. But he found no one. Jeremiah 5, 1. He says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. And Ezekiel twenty two thirty, he says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. And then we have this account in Genesis where Abraham stands in the gap on behalf of Sodom. This city that had become so corrupt and so perverted that God was going to destroy it. But Abraham says, okay, if I can find 55 faithful people, will you hold back? And God says, yes. And then it's just really long drawn out. What about 45? Yes. 35? Yes. And it just goes back and forth till it gets down to 10 as if God is saying, if you can find one faithful person who continues to seek after me and live the godly way, I will hold back. Because God is always looking for someone that he can use to redeem his creation and restore it back to its original intent. And so here we see that, that Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God, God uses him to restore this broken creation. But I don't want us to miss this this morning. That God found favor in Noah before he asked him to build the ark. Yes, it took great faith to build the ark. But what we see in the person of Noah is that God found favor in him in the way that he lived his everyday life. Day in and day out. Noah was faithful to God before he had this grand thing to motivate him. And so we are called to live lives of faithfulness, to seek holiness, to live the godly way day in and day out. Not when something worthy of our attention comes along. Not when we finally choose to get our act together. When we choose to be the God of our own life, determining what is good and what is right, we miss out 
on this plan, on this way that God has for us. And God is asking that we, we live this way, seeking the godly way, choosing the godly way, day in and day out, so that when he begins to move in a mighty way, he looks down and he sees us and he chooses us to use us to usher in restoration and redemption into this world. Jesus noted this about Noah in Luke chapter 17. He says, the time of the son of man will be just like the time of Noah. Everyone carrying on as usual, having a good time, right up to the day Noah boarded the ship. They suspected nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. Jesus is talking about the day when the son of man will return. That everyone's just going to be going about their lives, doing their own thing. But it's those who are like Noah, who live faithfully, who are living the godly way in tune to what God is doing that are going to be aware when God begins to move in a mighty way. God found favor in the way that Noah lived his ordinary everyday life because Noah loved God. And so he chose to live the godly way because he trusted God. So then what exactly was it about Noah? If Noah is this model for us of what it looks like to to live the godly way, what exactly did that look like? In Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, we're actually given three characteristics of Noah. What it says is, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So the first thing it says is that he was righteous, meaning he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The second thing it says is that he was blameless. To be blameless is to refrain from doing anything that you could be blamed for. So it means that he was constant. And then the third thing it says is that he was faithful, meaning he was obedient consistently. But again, what it says is is he wasn't just obedient and faithful when God called him to build the ark. This is before he built the ark. This is how Noah lived his daily life in tune with God. Because it says that he walked faithfully with God. Walking with God means being in relationship with God. We read that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden when they were living in right relationship with him. And so when it says that that Noah walked faithfully with God, it means he was intimate with God. He was in relationship with God. He was living his day in and day out life connected to God. When everybody else, literally everybody else, was doing nothing but evil all the time, Noah walked faithfully with God. And so let's keep reading and see what takes place in response to Noah's faithfulness. Because Noah was faithful, because God found favor in him, he, he chose him and he told Noah that he was going to flood the earth and destroy everything. 
but that he was going to, to save Noah and his family as a remnant. And so he tells Noah to build this ark and he gives him very detailed instructions on how to do that. And then he tells him to, to gather two of every creature, a male and a female, because that's the only way it actually works. And, and that they were to, to board this ark. And it began to rain. So, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And the entire earth was flooded. Everything is destroyed except for what is on the ark. And then the waters reside, and Noah and his family and the animals, they exit the ark, and they step foot once again on the earth that God created. And what we read is that uh, immediately Noah builds an altar and offers sacrifices to God. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. So he gets off the ark, and he builds this altar, and he offers these sacrifices to God for his provision, for what he had done. But this is so beautiful. God is pleased with this aroma coming from the sacrifice. That's powerful because just before this, God was so grieved and so distraught at the state of his creation that he wiped it out. This creation that he said was good. This creation that that he had created exactly how he wanted it to be. He was so grieved and distraught that he wiped it out. And here we read that he feels pleased. Because the smell of this sacrifice is a smell of hope. It's a smell of possibility. It's the smell of a new start. So as he breathes this in, God makes a covenant with Noah. And he says in Genesis 8, 21, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. And then as we continue reading into chapter 9, we see that God recommissions Noah and his sons in the same way he did with Adam in the very beginning. He tells them to recreate, to be fruitful and multiply. He reminds them that that they've been given authority over creation. to to care for it. He instructs them on what foods to eat and what foods not to eat. God goes back to this original commissioning that he did in the very beginning with Adam and he reestablishes his original plan through Noah and his sons. See, what God does here is he renews his covenant with his creation And we will see that God continues to do this throughout this God story. Because God set a plan in motion in the beginning. And he continues to pursue his creation to bring them back to that plan. To his original plan. And so he continues to make and renew his covenant along the way. 
looking for people who are faithful that he can use to restore his creation back to its original intent. Because this is a powerful part of the Noah story that I don't want us to miss this morning. And that is that God did not start over. He worked with what he had already made. This was profound when this clicked for me because I'm thinking, God had the opportunity here to just start fresh. He had, he had put his creation into motion and he had seen where it had gone. He had seen what it had come to. So, so it makes sense, I think, to our human minds that God would use this opportunity to kind of learn from the mistakes and create a new and improved creation. Here he's wiping out everything. Why not take Noah and his family too? Why not wipe out all the animals and just go back to the dust and start over? Make a new man and a new woman and try again. There's only one way to answer that. And that is because he had already made it perfect just how he wanted it the first time. Because hear this today, God does not make mistakes. What God started in the beginning is exactly what he wanted to, to give to his creation. It's exactly how he intended it to be. And this, this is a profound truth for us to, to understand because it shows us how trustworthy God is. How trustworthy his way is, his plan is, his purpose is. Because God himself did not change it, even though he could. If ever there was a time to start fresh, this would have been it. But he didn't. Because God doesn't make mistakes. He had no intent of changing his plan of relationship. He had no intent of, of undoing his decision to give us a choice. This is God's perfect plan. And so when we understand that, then it makes us have to question how on earth could we ever think that we have a better way to live? How could we ever question who God made us to be, to think that, that something about us just isn't quite right, that God made a mistake in some way. I should have been more like that. See, when we, when we see in this story that, that God didn't start over, he didn't undo or redo anything because what God starts is perfect. God's intent is perfect. What he designs is perfect. It is the best way. He simply chose one man to be a remnant, to start fresh, to purify the contamination that had entered into his creation, and to allow his intent for creation to flourish once again. God's way is trustworthy. It is the best way. So what this means for us is that we, today, need to embrace the godly way. 
Embrace the tree of life way, trusting that it truly is the best way. God is looking to us now, looking for faithful people that he can continue to use to restore his creation. Because even though God made a covenant that he would never wipe out his creation again like he did in the flood, there is still brokenness. There are still people turning to the sinful way. And I, and I want us to understand what God's plan is. God's plan from the beginning is to use you and me to usher in restoration. Because as much as we can stop and, and try to imagine, man, what would the world be like if every thought of the human heart was only evil all the time? How terrifying and intense that would be. But on the flip side, can you imagine what this world would be like if God's people were faithful in the day-to-day, -day, trusting him, seeking after holiness, living the godly way? See, when we do this, this is how we usher God's kingdom here on earth. That's how God set this up, that, that we living the godly way, modeling that to the people around us, extending Christ's love to people around us, trusting God and not going down our own path is how we begin to usher in heaven here on earth. And people begin to see there's this different way to live because God's way is not like the world's way. Sometimes I think for us, it can feel like everybody is only doing evil all the time. And God is saying, I'm looking for somebody who is faithful. Somebody who trusts me. Somebody who is seeking after me. Who's walking daily with me. So that I can use them to usher in restoration to the people in their life. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the writer affirms Noah's place in what's often called the hall of faith. And this is what it says. It says, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith faith. This is what we are to be marked by. That we would be people of faith day in and day out. That we don't wait for something big or worthy to come along to finally go all in, but that we trust God's way is the best way. And that by our faith, we do some really bold and crazy things. That the whole rest of the world might look upon and say, that's crazy, but we do it because we trust in God. And that we want to seek the godly way. That people in this world would look to us and see that we're marked by our faith. They will say, by faith, you stood against popular opinion. By faith, you fought hard for the next generation. By faith, you remained in your marriage. By faith, you continue to pray for your family. 
By faith, you chose to unplug from social media and purify your mind. By faith, you sold everything and went to the mission field. By faith, what is it? What is it that God is stirring in you, calling you to stand up to the world around you and trust the godly way? Because the godly way is the best way. And we can trust that because God himself would not change it, even though he could have. So we, we can choose to embrace this godly way, embrace this way of faithfulness, just like Noah did. So I want to invite you today to make your own covenant with God. A covenant meaning this, this promise and this commitment that you will be somebody that will be marked by faith. That as he looks down on his creation today and says, who can I find? Is there one person who is faithful that I can use? That he would find you and be able to use you to usher in restoration and redemption, to bring God's creation back to the way that it was supposed to be. So let me just pray over you this morning before we close with this song. God, we come before you and we recommit ourselves, God, or maybe for the first time today, that we trust your way. We trust that you are creator. We trust that you are the author of our story. We trust that you made us just how you intended us to be. And God, we want to be people like Noah who are marked by faith, not when something big comes along. We don't wanna keep making excuses. God, help us today day in and day out to seek after you, to trust in your way, that you might use us to usher in restoration and redemption in this broken and hurting world. God, we love you and we trust you. And it's in your name that we pray.